Thank you, Miss Sandy, for singing for us today. Exodus chapter 34. I want us to do something just a little bit different that I don't normally do this morning. Uh, but what I want us to do is stand together and give honor to the Bible this morning. Used to, back in the days, the people of God revered God so much um, that when the Bible, when the Scriptures entered, people began standing. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He said, If I have now found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are obstinate, And pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask today that, God, you would use your word to go beyond our hearing and pierce our hearts. Uh, God, I pray that your presence is what we long for, the glory of your presence. And so, God, I pray right now that your presence would be thick God, I pray that it would invade this place and have your way. God, I know without you, I can do nothing. And so, God, use me for your glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I've really been enjoying my devotions in the book of Exodus. It's not often that sermons are born out of devotion life, but God has just been doing a fresh work in me through these things that I've read before. And I believe why is because I believe that uh, like God's people here in the Old Testament, uh, that Moses used the word to describe as obstinate. We'll talk more about that here in a little bit. Um, I see the church today. Uh, I believe many in this room are calloused and hardened uh, to the things of the truth. Uh, I don't believe the glory of the presence of God is what you long for. Uh, I don't believe you long for it in your home. I don't believe you long for it in your marriage. And I don't believe we long for it here in the church. And I believe that's why the Holy Spirit of God is hindered. 
because we simply don't crave it and long for it. And us, like the Israelites, have become hardened to the truth and in many ways have become deceived. You know, today there are many that claim to have had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. In 2009, a gentleman claimed to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, and he said Jesus commissioned him to write a new translation of the Bible. And then he said Jesus also said in their conversation that he would come back to him and reveal to him the 22nd chapter of the book of John, and he would write that. Can I tell you something? This guy's a heretic. This guy's a whack. But, you know, I used to think, how in the world, toward the end of days, you know, the Apostle Paul said that many in the last days are going to be uh, deceived, giving heed to doctrines of devils and demons and seducing spirits. I used to think, how in the world would God's people be so easily deceived? But today we're seeing it. Because this guy's got a following. People are so gullible and naive to take something that somebody says and take it as truth. And they think it's some grand thing. You realize that the Apostle Paul, how many believe the Apostle Paul actually had an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus? But you know, nowhere in that passage are we told that he saw him. He saw a light and a voice. I find it interesting that in John 17, when Jesus is giving his high priestly prayer, that he prayed for the disciples because he was no longer going to be in the world. And he prayed for their protection. I find it interesting that the Apostle Peter, he's writing the epistle of Peter, when he's recounting his magnificent experience at the Mount of Transfiguration, he was there. He had seen it with his own eyes. He had seen the glory of Christ firsthand. But rather than point to that experience as a basis for faith, the Apostle Peter points his readers to the written Word of God. He said this, he said in Second Peter, he said, We have the prophetic Word, the Old Testament prophecies, made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. Look, miracles, dreams, and visions, listen to me, they always take a back seat to the Bible. Always. But today we're infatuated with the, with the sensational and the supernatural. Uh, these out-of-body, so to speak, experiences. Our ears perk up when somebody says they've had a vision or they've had a dream or they've seen Jesus. And, and the Bible just give, gives no indication that such extra-biblical revelation is to be expected today. Now the, the apostolic age has ended, and we have a completed Bible. Revelation 22 makes it clear about what's going to happen to those who add or take away from the Word of God. We have the completed revelation of God. So when somebody says, Jesus came to me, or I got a word from God, or uh, I had a revelation from God, a Christian should be skeptical. And not so naive to just believe everything that they're being being told because deception is prevalent in the last days. Isn't it true there are some who claim I've saw Jesus who've led many people astray? 
1820, Joseph Smith claimed to have seen Jesus, and the result was Mormonism, a cult, a false religion that's led many people to hell. Ellen G. White claimed to have seen Jesus, and the result was Seventh-day Adventism. So obviously most who say they have seen Jesus, they're not on the side of the truth. In our text this morning, we have read about a genuine encounter with the presence of God. And there are several things we learn in this encounter that I think today can be a guide for us. When, there's, when people are talking about an outbreak of God or they have seen Jesus, we have to gauge everything we see by the Bible. Somebody say amen. Because this is our guide. How do we know that the glory of God's presence is at work? You know, one thing you learn when you read Exodus is that Satan, now listen to me, is great. He's a mastermind at intimidating the works of God, or imitating, rather, the works of God. In this text, we read about Moses' encounter with the glory of God's presence. Leading up to Exodus 34, this came after Moses' first visit to Mount Sinai, where he received the instructions for the tabernacle and the law. And he comes down, and I preached that text a few weeks ago. He comes down, and what does he find? He finds God's people have rebelled against God, have gone their own way, believed their own thing, and they have asked Aaron to uh, erect an idol for them to worship and actually give praise to the idol for their deliverance from Egypt. So when Moses comes down from the mountain, of course, he's in anguish when he sees what's going on. And so he throws the tablets and he breaks them, symbolizing their breaking of the law. And the purpose of this returning to Mount Sinai in chapter 34 is for God to replace the two stone tablets. But in the previous chapter, Exodus 33, Moses prayed, I pray you show me your glory, was his prayer. Show me your glory. Moses prayed to God, and God answered his prayer, only he told Moses, he says, you can't see my face, because no one has seen my face and live. I believe today, more than anything, every person in this room needs a fresh encounter with the glory of God's presence. A real, genuine, authentic movement of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people. This is what we need. This is what I crave. This is what my burden is for the church. And in this text, we see what happens in the life of a person when they experience the glory of God's presence. And I'll go ahead and spoil it for you from the outset. It's not some warm, fuzzy feeling, stirring of emotions, or erratic behavior. The glory of God's presence brings tangible evidence that God is among us. God is among us. Notice four observations about Moses' encounter with the glory of God's presence. Number one, the glory of God's presence brings reverence. It brings reverence. I believe reverence is missing in a lot of lives in the church, and maybe even in the church in general is missing today. Can I tell you something? We're not a country club. 
This is not a country club. This is not some, some social club where you pay your dues and you can have things the way you want it and, and, and kind of exercise uh, your authority and, and lord over people. That, that's, not, that's not what this is. Hey, this is a church. This is a place dedicated for the worship of Almighty God. The word reverence means deep respect, all obeisance, bowing. Psalms 111.9 says, He sent redemption unto His people. He hath commanded His covenant forever. Holy and reverend is His name. Other translations translate this word awesome. God is holy. He's awesome. He's to be revered with great respect. He alone is reverend. That's why when I'm asked, what do you want, to me, uh, what do you want me, me to refer you to refer to you as? If I'm on a board or something in the community, because the natural go-to is reverend, I don't know. The Bible says reverend is the Lord, not reverend is Luke Johnson. Pastor's fine. Reverend is the Lord. Moses responded to this encounter with God's glory with reverence. I want you to notice, we notice something about his priority. Look at verse 8. It says, Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. When Moses encountered the presence of God's glory, look, his first reaction was to get as low as he could. His first reaction was to get as low as he could. He hurried. He made haste. He didn't delay. He didn't hesitate. He hurried. But then we see humility to bow low toward the earth, the text says. Look, pride is the great problem of myself and everyone in this room. Self-centeredness and self-righteousness is something all of us in here struggle with. Pride has destroyed many marriages and careers and many churches. Pride wrecks relationships and ruins testimonies. Pride is the root of all sin. And in the presence of the glory of Almighty God, pride comes crashing down. Because we realize in the glory of His presence, I have nothing to glory in. When Moses, this man of God, encountered the presence of God, he got low as quick as he could. Not only his priority, but notice his posture, the text says, and worshipped. This Hebrew word translated worship means to prostrate one's self, to prostrate oneself. It's the same word used in Exodus 20 when God gave the Ten Commandments and said, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. You notice that this word is closely related to serving. The Greek word is used in the New Testament about 60 times, means essentially the same thing. And in few instances, a different word is used that is closely connected to serving. So the idea is of worship and service. And this kind of gives us this morning a different picture of worship. You see, we often think of worship as singing or, or attending a, a service or something along those lines. And those things flow out of worship, but they in and of themselves are not worship. What this teaches us is that worship is to humbly bow in adoration and reverence for God. Listen, and serve Him. It doesn't matter how many songs you sing that are praise and worship songs. 
or how many church services you attend, but if you're not serving Him, you're not worshiping Him. Worship is a lifestyle, not an event. It's a lifestyle for the believer. We notice something about his priority and his posture. Look, we see the glory of God's presence. It brings reverence. But notice number two, it brings repentance. It brings repentance. Look at verse 9. He said, If, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. I want us to know, notice a couple of things here. I want you to see, first of all, his concern. His concern in the first part of verse 9, he says, O oh Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate. In chapter 33, Moses reminded the Lord of his promise to accompany the people on their journey. And so Moses makes his appeal based on the favor, the grace of God. Because he knew that the Lord was merciful and gracious. He also knew that the people were obstinate, which means they were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. They were hard-hearted. Moses knew that if God gives the people what they deserve, he would destroy them all. He's already killed 3,000. At the order of God, 3,000 died when they worshipped the golden calf. You know, can I just say, God takes worship of Him seriously. And He still does today. These were God's people, and Moses was God's servant. And so, so Moses is praying for the presence of God to, to, to be among them. He's, they don't need an angel. They're not praying for an angel. What distinguished Israel from the other nations was that their God was present with them. And that's what Moses requested. And we see it requested again in our text this morning. Notice that was his concern, the presence of God. But notice his confession. And notice something very interesting about this confession. He says, and pardon our iniquity. Pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us as your own possession. First thing I want you to notice is that Moses includes himself. Moses was not the one that had betrayed God. He wasn't the one worshiping the golden calf. He wasn't the one that was down there immorally indulging in perversion with everybody that was worshiping this calf and performing who knows what as a sacrifice to it. But yet in the presence of the glory of God, how many understand not just the sin of other people, but your sin rises to the surface and you recognize how sinful you are. Moses said, forgive us of our iniquities. The word iniquities, you notice he uses the word iniquity and the word sin. The word iniquity in the Hebrew language, this word means a premeditated choice, a perversion of God's ways. To commit iniquity is to continue without repentance. Sin simply means to miss the mark. To fail to do what's right. 
miss God's standard. So I got a question down. Was God going to forgive the people of their sins? Was He going to forgive them? In verses 5 through 7, we've just read, God declares to Moses the greatness of His attributes. This declaration is basic to all Jewish and Christian theology. Notice again what the Lord said, beginning at verse 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. Aren't you thankful for that? Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. This is a declaration of theology, basic to all Jewish and Christian theology. Moses would repeat these same words later in the book of Numbers. The Jews used them in Nehemiah's day. Jonah quoted them when he was pouting outside of Nineveh. He was actually pouting about, God, you're so gracious and merciful. He was upset at what God was doing. And if faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? The Word of God. And so Moses, by faith, because of what God has said, asked God to forgive the people. Moses held God to what he had just said that He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And we know that God forgave him because God ordered Moses to prepare two stone tablets, which was a sign of restoration of the covenant that we're going to get to here in just a moment. This meant forgiveness and a new beginning for God's people. Look, the glory of God's presence brings reverence. It brings repentance. But the third thing is this. It brings renewal. It brings renewal. God gave, had forgiven the people. He gives them a fresh start. How many are thankful God gave you a fresh start? He's given me a fresh start. But God also repeated the essential elements of the covenant, especially the laws about idolatry. I want you to notice verse 12. He gives them a reminder of their responsibility. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. God warned Israel. Now, let's stop right here and say this. The glory of God's presence. I could have added another R in here. It brings responsibility. There's a responsibility. There's, there's tangible evidence that God has been among you. Because obedience follows. And he tells the people, he reminds them of their responsibility. He warned them about compromising with the enemy when they moved into the promised land, making agreements with them, joining their feast, and intermarrying with them and adopting their pagan ways. How many understands there's a lot of paganism going on in the church today? I heard it said years ago, the church has become so worldly and the world so churchy, nobody can tell the difference. And I think, man, that's more true than it's ever been. How many understand we're not to adopt their ways? We're to adopt His way. We're to adopt this. This is the truth. By the way, like you've heard me say, you and God's the majority. 
doesn't matter who's against you, God, and you are the majority. God was telling Israel, you needed to repudiate and destroy everything that has to do with this idol worship, with their paganism. And realize that what adultery was to marriage, idolatry was to their covenant with God. When you erect something that you are bowing to outside of me, that you're putting ahead of me, you are committing adultery against me. You see, many never experience renewal in their lives because they refuse to repudiate and destroy the sin in their lives. We're sorry, but we're not repentant. We might be remorseful, but we're not repentant because we don't want to destroy it. God told his people, you destroy everything that has to do with paganism and idol worship when you arrive because it'll be a snare in your midst. And there's some of you here today, there's a snare in your midst because you refuse to submit to God and destroy everything that has to do with paganism in your home. He gives them also, number two, a reason for their repudiation. When the Israelites conquered the land of Canaan, the extent of how filthy their idolatry was, listen to me, I'm not even going to take the time today to expound upon how filthy and evil their, their idol worship was. It was unspeakably immoral. And like cancerous tumors in the human body, pagan temples and altars had to be removed before it destroyed the whole land. Before the land could be healthy, these things had to go. See, God had called Israel, His chosen people, to be the channel of blessing to the world, culminating in the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And idolatry, listen, church, idolatry, idolatry was the enemy that almost destroyed the nation. Humanly speaking, were it not for God's intervention, and if it were not for a faithful few after the captivity that struggled to be true to God, the world might have not had the written scriptures or the birth of Jesus. Because people were so stubborn in their ways. Hey, look, the devil tried then to, de- to destroy what God was trying to do, and he failed. He's continuing to try today to destroy all that God wants to do. And he will, listen church, ultimately fail because God's victorious through Christ. And all of his children are victorious through Christ. I had a quote sent to me from my sister-in-law. It said that without a fight, there's no move of God. Without a fight, there's no move of God. And boy, that's so true. I want you to notice number four, and lastly, it not only brings uh, not only brings reverence and repentance and renewal, but it also brings radiance. Radiance. I want you to jump down to verse twenty-nine and notice what it says. It came about when Moses was coming down from the mountain, from Mount Sinai. And the two tablets of testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him, his speaking with God. 
I want you to notice the reflection of God's glory. Moses had been fasting and praying in the presence of God for a total of 80 days. And now in chapter 34, we see he has seen a glimpse of God's glory. Is it any wonder that when Moses came down, he was glowing? He was glowing. He didn't realize that he had absorbed some of the glory and was reflecting it from his countenance. Those who saw him, if we continue reading, you you see that those who saw him were afraid to come close to him. And Moses invites them to come close and they talked as they did before. But he was, after he was finished speaking, we see that Moses put a veil to cover the glory. Put a veil on. Why did he put a veil on? Not because he was scaring the people. Sometimes, you know, I feel like I need a veil because when I walk in, my face scares people. He didn't put a veil on because he was scaring the people, but because the glory was fading away. See, the people saw this as something wonderful, Moses' glow. But what would they say if they saw it fade? Who wants to follow a leader who's losing his glory? And so Moses, now, now look, think, 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 think about this. How I just, this is awesome. So as the, the glory would begin to fade. What did Moses do? He would go back to the tent of meeting <laughs> to get back in the presence of God, and the glory would return. But again, would wear the veil so people wouldn't see the glory fade. Can I ask you a question? Are you spending time in the presence of God? You know, it's no wonder that we have to be implored to look happy (laughs) because we don't spend time in the presence of the glory of God. We're not reflecting His glory. It's impossible without spending time in His presence. In 2 Corinthians, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3. I want you to see three applications the Apostle Paul made of this event in Exodus 34. Hey, don't you like how the Bible confirms itself? When you see the continuity throughout the Word of God, we see the Apostle Paul speak to this event. Second Corinthians chapter 3, and I want you to notice, beginning at verse 7. The first application Paul makes is that the glory of the Mosaic legal system, listen, was fading away. But the gospel of God's grace was getting more glorious. Look what he says in verse 7 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, how much more that which remains is in glory." Some in Paul's day and in our days teach that salvation is by faith in Christ plus obedience 
to the law. How many are thankful that salvation is by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross? Somebody say amen. How many are thankful that Jesus fulfilled the law of the Old Testament completely, perfectly, satisfying God's just wrath towards sin, and He died on the cross for all sin? How many are thankful for that? How many would agree that the glory of Jesus Christ surpasses that that we've just read about in Exodus 34? That's what Paul's saying. The glory of the Mosaic legal system was fading away, but the glory of the gospel of grace was getting more glorious. The second application he made is this. He applied this event to the lost Jews of his day whose hearts were covered by a veil of unbelief. so They couldn't see the glory of Christ. Look at verse 14. But their minds were hardened for until the very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. And the last thing he did is this. He applied Moses' experience to Christians who by faith see the glory of Jesus Christ in the Word of God and experience spiritual transformation. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Hey, church, listen to me. This is why I implore every person in here, every service just about, to get into the Word of God. Because this is the revelation of His glory. And if we are to reflect Jesus Christ, the only way that you can live for Jesus, the only way He can have His way in your life is if this is the center of your life and priorities every single day. The glory has faded from many who claim to be saved, who've been in the church for a long time. The glory has faded because you don't live in the reflection of God's glory in your personal life. The Word of God is the reflection of His glory. As we look into the Word of God, we see the Son of God. We are transformed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. We've seen the reflection of God's glory, but the second thing is this. I want you to notice the residence of God's glory, and we're, we're finished today. You know, the book of Exodus opens up with Moses seeing God's glory in a burning what? A burning bush. And it closes with the glory of God descending into the camp and filling the tabernacle. The presence of the glory of God, listen to me, was not a luxury. It was a necessity for God's people. They needed the presence of God among them. I would say for the American church, it's a luxury. It's become a luxury to us, not a necessity. We don't crave it. We don't thirst for it. We don't long for it. They needed the presence of God. 
You see, the presence of God identified them as the people of God and set them apart from other nations. Their tabernacle was consecrated by the glory of God. Look, other nations had sacred buildings uh, that were empty. The tabernacle of Israel was blessed with the presence and the glory of God. God had given Moses the instructions for the tabernacle in chapter 40. Everything's ready to be constructed. Moses had been faithful. He did all God had called him to do. I pray that one day that'll be said of me. All that God called Luke to do, he did. The Bible says he did all that God had told him to do. And everything and everyone associated for the tabernacle was dedicated to the Lord and the glory of the Lord settled on it. The word settled means in the Hebrew, it's the word Shekinah, or it can be pronounced Shekinah. The word settled means the abiding presence of God. So powerful was God's glory at that moment as it filled the tabernacle, Moses could not enter it. Couldn't enter it. You see, in God's glory that dwelt at the tabernacle would depart from it when the priest or the people sinned against him. Now, you've, you've heard me say your sin doesn't affect just you. It affects everybody. In fact, your sin affects everybody you're sitting next to and across from this morning. Your sin affects this church. The glory would depart when people and the priests would sin. In fact, Leviticus. Can you believe Leviticus is being interesting to me right now? <laughs> Leviticus 8 9. I find it very interesting when the people would go to the temple that the priest Aaron... The first thing he had to do, and he wasn't given an option. He wasn't uh, given a checklist. Have you done this today? Have you done this today? Have you not done this today? He wasn't given a checklist. It was, it was not optional for him. Before he entered the tabernacle and to meet with the presence of God, he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. And then, before the people could come, he had to offer a sacrifice for their sin. First thing that had to happen. You know, maybe we don't experience an outpouring of the presence of God because we come and we gather for worship, but yet we, we come unconfessed, unrepentant, making excuses. When God's people had to first be cleansed, I find that interesting. The tabernacle was designed in such a way they could pack it up and carry it with them through the wilderness because they needed the presence of God with them. Later, under King Solomon, the permanent tabernacle called the temple would be constructed and God's glory once again came to dwell with His people. But once again, their sins drove God's glory away. And the next time the glory of God would come, it would be in the person of Jesus Christ. And what did the world do with that glory? They nailed it to a cross. He came into His own, and His own did not receive Him. They rejected Him. So I wrote the question down. Where's God's glory today? 
Where is God's glory at this moment? Where's it at? Listen, church, the body of every true believer is the temple of the living God. In 1 Corinthians, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own because you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body because you're His. Where's God's glory today? It's in the body of every true believer. Secondly, it's also in the local church according to 1 Corinthians 3. Where Paul gives a warning to anyone who would try to interfere with or destroy the building of the church on the foundation of Christ. When God's people gather, the glory of God is here. And then in Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul refers to the universal church. The glory of God is seen in Christians around the world. Hey, church, listen, we are nothing. In your notes, right, I am nothing without the presence of God. Nothing. Today, God doesn't dwell in buildings. Buildings are dedicated to God and used as tools for His work and His workers. But God does dwell in people. And it's every believer's responsibility to bring glory to God by the way they live their lives. The things they allow into their lives and out of their lives is to bring glory to Christ. When whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all to the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the responsibility of every true believer. Because we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be a tragedy? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if the glory of God departed? How much better would it be if, like Moses, we did everything according to the word of the Lord so that God's glory would feel at home in our midst? Can I ask you, does God's glory feel at home in your life? Is God's, is God's presence welcome in your home, in the decisions you make, the places you go, the things you see, the things you say, the things you listen to? Is the presence of God welcome? Is the presence of God priority? Are you reflecting God's glory? Is reverence, repentance, renewal, and radiance evident in your life? Maybe you feel spiritually as if the glory is fading. So I beg every person here today, if we're to see God do anything magnificent in our lives and through our lives for His glory, we need to get back into His presence and be renewed. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you, God, as we spend time in it each day. God, how it speaks to us. God, thank you for conviction in my own heart and life this week. And 
and God building something in me, doing something in me, and changing me into who you desire me to be. And God, I pray that you would continue to show me things in my own life and, and work in me so I can be, God, who you've called me to be. And God, I pray that one day it not only God will be said about me, but every believer in this room that we did what was right. We did everything that was right in your eyes, like your servant Moses did. God, help us to be obedient. God, so much pulls at us today. Lord, the devil's a deceiver. And Lord, his subtle lies are everywhere, deceiving the hearts of, of thousands upon thousands. And God, I pray, use me to help guard our church against those things. God, help us to stand against sin and the evil of today, the corruption of everything you call good. God, help us to stand firmly, lovingly, compassionately, boldly, authoritatively on your word. God, work in our church. God, revival didn't come through a man. Your presence, uh, Lord, is among us through each believer that's here. And God, I believe collectively as we submit to you, as we are renewed in your presence, as, we, as God, maybe the glory has faded in some of our lives, God, I pray that the glory would be renewed as we get back into your presence and spend time digging into and relishing the glory of your word. God, please be present here in our lives. Have your way. You're in control, and God, we trust you. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I'm just... If you're here today, you don't know Christ. He loves you. He died for you. Call on Him right now to save you. He will. He will. You're a sinner. Can't save yourself. You ask Jesus, Lord, please forgive me. I, I trust you. What you did on the cross for me, I trust you right now. He'll save you right where you stand. But I'm going to invite some Christians this morning to get into the presence of God. Maybe you like Moses, maybe you want to come and bow this morning in His presence. Maybe you just want to come and bow and just be still in His presence. Would you come this morning and ask God to do a special work among our church to help us to be a church that brings glory to Him through our lives, our families. That we would be a church that spends time in His presence looking into the glory of His Word. Today, would you spend some time being renewed in His presence? Father, help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.
as Rhonda closes in prayer this morning.